for Enterprise, the podcast described as the squishy heart at the center of Enterprise IT. Uh, this week, all four hosts are here. Uh, is it the first time we've managed that this year? No, it can't be. But it's the first time we've managed this in a little while, for sure. A couple of, uh, maybe a month or so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we wanted to start with a somewhat serious note. Uh, this is not a current affairs podcast, as you may have noticed if you've listened to basically any of our other episodes. Uh, so we're not going to be trying to cover the Ukraine crisis as such, uh, although our hearts do go out to everyone affected by that. Uh, but I will say the corporate angle of that is there are a whole lot of marketers who are not covering themselves in glory right now, especially in the security market. Uh, the, just the, the ambulance chasing, it, it's not a good look uh, to cut it out, people. You're making the rest of us look bad. It's not. It's a time to take cybersecurity extremely, extremely seriously and to publish you know, helpful how-tos and whatnot. And Twitter, for instance, has been doing some, some good work around that, putting material out in Ukrainian uh, to help people secure their Twitter accounts and things like that. Uh, but a lot of it is just, you know, the Russian hackers are coming, buy our stuff. And the, no, please don't. It's like they make the assumption that everybody will start hacking everything all of a sudden. But, it, it, you know, the, the thing is, like, it's so easy to brush off, but I don't think you should because there have been, like, uh, attacks, right? I mean, if you're if you're taking this opportunity to start your cybersecurity investments and ramp up, then <clears throat> obviously you've missed the boat. You might as well just... Yeah, pack up but but there have been there have been so many like you know the ukrainian banks government websites um you, you know it, it's just multiple angles and i think yesterday the u.s bank u.s utilities were warned like th there's been a couple of warnings in the u.s around u.s banks and u.s energy companies so it is something to take quite seriously i mean everybody should raise their yeah awareness but i i don't know that yeah the Ambulance chasing is really going to work, right? So, yeah, there's a fine line. And if you're if you're starting a procurement process for an enterprise cybersecurity tool now, <laughs> and we'll devoutly hope that this crisis will be over by the time you've concluded that implementation, uh, then again, you know, as they say, the best time to start upgrading your security posture was five years ago. The second best time is today. Uh, so definitely patch your stuff. The The internet weather is bad and it's going to continue to be bad for a little while. Definitely if you're operating in that part of the world, you should once again have started five years ago or quite a, quite a long time ago. But everyone can get caught in the crossfire. You never know. By the way, no one really believes that one tool do it all, do they? Of course one tool can do it all. Twitter told me. <laughs> as long as it's my tool, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I just think it's it's weird to me that there's a, a sort of a, a rule in in marketing that if you're the kind of person who maybe benefits from disaster recovery, you don't go out and tweet as the hurricane is about to hit Florida because that's kind of a douche move, right? And and you certainly don't say, "Hey, how did that feel to lose your data center?" Like right afterwards, that is also a douche move. And it's weird to me that geopolitical crisis does not fall under this umbrella of douche moves. Yeah, yeah. and there've been. Uh, Plentiful selection of douche moves. I think the worst, and it's only tangentially related to to Ukraine, but it was AP uh, posting an NFT drop of a picture of a boat full of migrants uh, adrift in the med. I was uh, tasteful, very nicely done. <laughs> they, they did delete that tweet pretty promptly afterwards, but the screenshots will live in infamy. <laughs> oh man. 
But all that is to say, patch your stuff, shields up. Uh, there are cybersecurity operations, uh, cyber attacks uh, underway, and it's a uh, yeah, it's a mess. Uh, and also, you know, if you have operations in that part of the world, a bunch of companies operate out there. There, I've worked with people in that part of the world, and uh, you know, we feel for you. There's not a huge amount that we can do beyond that, unfortunately. So, Mike, what are you guys doing? What, what, what are, I mean, you know, from your perspective, right? You're the customer. I mean, just heightened. They keep doing what you're doing. Heightened. Yeah. You know, you, you just keep monitoring more. I mean, most people have managed providers that do this kind of stuff. So they, they kind of send up an update. Well, if you have a good one, they'll send an update saying that we are doing A, B, and C extra right now. And this is what they're doing. You know, what... To be honest, it's um, let's not use this example, but like I think the data center providers are the ones that are a bit more scary because if um, yeah, here we have okay a, a war there, but let's say you take um, you have a data center where like a natural disaster is coming upon, like most of the good data center providers, you know, whether you're co-locating whatever, will come and tell you what they're doing. If they don't, that's when I start to to worry and reach out to them and say like. Hey, are you doing anything? Are you ready for this? Um, that, that those are the more scary ones because the, these things are going to happen, right? They're going to happen everywhere. Um, I think one of the unintended consequences is, um, you know, there are companies that have like Russian developers. There are companies that have Ukrainian developers. There are countries that that one is sourced Ukrainian developers. I was going to bring that yeah. up earlier. Yep, I, yeah, I, yeah. You, and, I was and, at a company that was acquired, and one of the things that almost made it fall through is we had a lot of Russian developers. Yeah, and I think I, I hear from a lot of friends that are scrambling now because I mean, look, the, the Ukrainians, I mean, they got they got other worries. I mean, they're no. they're not working, right? I mean, that's just fact of it. Mm -hmm. Um so I think people are reevaluating that. It, this will put context into a couple of locations that people are worried about where work is being done today. So I think it's um, it's never the current moment, but it's the side effects later on um, that are going to concern people. But of course, who knows how long this will go to? Who knows how long it'll, how big it'll spread, so on and so forth. So Yeah, and the yeah. 21st century nature of the conflict is, as a friend of the show and past guest, Anil Lakani, tweeted, uh, he's hearing from people who are using these... Uh, gig work platforms upwork and fiverr and whatnot and the the contractors for those services are in ukraine and they're requesting mm -hmm. deadline extensions they're like oh well hell yeah i'm not going to say no to that but it's not the sort of thing you factor in when you decide to hire a gig worker to do your graphics or what have you so mike in your organization is the business coming back to it i mean you know <clears throat> security has always seems seems to be precarious, right? It doesn't fall under IT ops. Um, you know, so SOCs kind of struggle a little bit, but what's it like in your organization? I mean, is it, are you guys looking out and you're going to them? Or are they coming to you with concerns? And how does that work? Um, the way, you know, it's a mixed bag. I mean, there are some business owners that will reach out and say, hey, are we doing anything? How's this? How's that? And then there are others, obviously, that, yeah, won't ask a thing. They just expect you to be doing something. So it's it's a bit of a mixed bag, right? I mean, yeah, it, it it depends. I mean, obviously, the ones that tend to come and ask me, I I tend to follow up with a few more questions as to like, why are you asking? 
in other words, do you think we have a weakness? Do you think there's something wrong? Do you, you know, that's, that's really the strong, but I mean, nobody really, nobody really advertises what they do, right? That's, that's the other thing. Uh, I mean, most companies uh, keep it quite, uh, quite tight to their chest on um, what their, their posture is and, and what they're doing. So it, it's hard when business executives reach out and want to know, but I, I guess, you know, what, what's scary is companies who may not be um, talking uh, to their board about items of this nature, right? Because most companies have crisis committees. So those crisis committees, I mean, especially for international companies, well, big companies should be... have crisis committees. <laughs> okay. No, I mean, yeah. I think that's true, right? Like, I don't think that your average 3,000 person software company has a crisis committee. Mm, I think it I depends. Don't know. I, would, I would say they would nowadays. I would be shocked really? if they didn't. I think it depends. We're a, a 3,000 person software company and we have a crisis committee. Yeah. Yeah. I, so maybe I, five, I, 10 years ago, that might not be the case. But, but today, yeah. it's. Uh, yeah. It depends on how. Why, didn't seem to work and so the well. business model. Yeah. Depends on the business model. <laughs> And depends on how widespread your operations are, what regions you operate in. So, uh, you yeah. know what surprises me, Mike, and I, I'm curious, and the reason I keep asking Mike, everybody, and we all know this, Mike, is you, you work on, you know, on the customer side, right? So we're on the vendor side, but um, this whole zero trust, I mean, we talk about, you know, enterprise IT, I, I keep hearing zero trust, zero trust, and I see VPNs everywhere, Mike, I see them everywhere. Are you guys still running VPN clients, still doing all this, I mean... Is everybody, nobody's even doing this right. I mean, not a, a lot of clients aren't doing this right. Maybe they're in the midst of it, but I keep hearing zero trust, but I don't see it. I think you're right. I think everybody's in like a mixed bag. Like they have uh, portions that are, portions of their environment that are zero trust and portions that are not. And you, you see it everywhere. I mean, I, like, look, yeah, don't, don't kid yourself. But I think people, I don't know how long zero trust will stay here, to be honest. I think it sounds great. And we always talk about like, hey, protect your crown jewels, what, whatever that crown jewel is, right? So it depends what, you know, if you're healthcare, it's probably like patient data or, you know, whatever. And it's, it's you know, if you're an engineering company, it's engineering data. But our, our, I, I don't, I don't know, the zero, zero trust, yes, it's, it's here to stay. I think people will do it, but I don't know how quickly people move to it because there is a... Yeah, a difficulty to achieving it, I think, for it's a huge paradigm shift for a lot of people. So I, I don't know, like, I, I think. Um, and it's also a buzzword that uh, I'm not sure yes, all of the participants yes. have fully embraced. Which means that when it when, when people finally come to like how they build it and design it, it's not going to look exactly like zero trust. It's not going to look like the environment is today, but there'll be some kind of like mixed mode mashup that people will will implement. Right. I, I don't know that anybody is pushing all their chips into uh, full zero trust, full VPN, full whatever. Right. I, I, I'm, I, I just don't see it. I think the cloud providers can drive more, most of it because that's where. Yeah, That's I was wondering about those cloud providers. Are we going to finally, you know, publicly acknowledge that they're having some security issues? You know, maybe they'll be targeted or something. I think it's maybe now's the nah. time. Oh, AWS and Azure have no security issues. What are you talking about? Yeah, right. Uh, I agree with 50% of that statement. <laughs> <laughs> oh, everybody's going to be figuring right out which 50% you agree with and not. Yeah, so. Zero, zero trust is not a buzzword. I, I guess I'll disagree with you on that, Dominic. That's a that's false. It's 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 a design. It's an architecture, right? Well, it, 
Will it look no. like that in three years and two years? Absolutely. No, right? It will evolve, right? But to sit here and say VPNs and let's do things way you've been doing it, no, that's ridiculous, right? But there is some truth to that, right? Whether it's a form of DLT, whether it's a form of how you're going to authenticate to that data. Look, there's two ways to the data. It's, it's Mike, we talked about this. It's through an API, it's through the wire, right? You just got to figure that out. I mean, I, but I, I, pers- I personally say that I, I can care less about the apps and just all about the data, right? I mean, figure out how to yeah, but that. Yeah, but I... But I think it is like, yeah, it's an architecture, but I think the, you know, this is what always happens. The marketing people like just, they take it in and run into the way. And then, yep. yeah, you yeah, know, and, and then you're in a meeting and you're like, someone's talking about zero trust. And you're like, you know, you're trying to figure out what they're really talking about. And, and you're doing the princess bride thing and saying that you keep saying that word. It doesn't mean what you think. It means. <laughs> yeah. but, but you know, uh, hold on. But to be fair, that's in everything. Come on. It's in what you that, do. That well. is. Like everybody, that, those words are alive and well in what we do. It's, it's a bunch oh, of yeah. garbage for us to pick. It's on everything. I use and li- words. Lilac and Lilac, I still I have PTSD from, from the early days of cloud words, marketing. Buzzword. Yeah. <laughs> <those words laughs> everywhere. I had someone I, tell I me seriously. Every time I write the word cloud in any context, because I'm like, did I mean anything? Don't by mean that? Any- yeah, it's nebulous. Uh, the I do remember there was a thing in the early days of cloud, and I've erased the relevant neurons. I advise Scotch, plentiful Scotch, for the purpose. Um, but the there was something about companies in U- in the US had to have three cloud initiatives in order to qualify for something or other. And a whole ton of companies were doing yes, we use email in the cloud. We use Gmail. That's one of them, right? <laughs> and all of the rest of us are just rolling our eyes so hard. No, but back back to zero trust. I think, um, you, you know, I, I guess you know, yeah. Why why are people more secure with zero trust? Like, how, how would you how, how would you like for listeners who are not like sure of how how we're going? Like, how how would you explain it? It's it's just removing people that you know. You're just it's authenticating any everything from anywhere. That's what really what the sum of it is, right? Anything you're accessing from anywhere, whether that's leveraging MFA, uh, DLP type uh, situations, but you know, not just this. Uh, I'm going to VPN in, and I'm sitting on the network, and that makes me secure. It's, um, it's. I think it's bringing in that barrier, right? For right, wrapping around the data instead of what you said earlier, right? Let me just, oh, forget my crown jewels. I'm going to try to protect that printer with NAC. I mean, that just those days are gone, right? So yeah, no more uh, perimeter yeah. security. No, no, because the perimeter has changed. There's no like mm-hmm. if no. you try to drop perimeter and everybody's working from home and all this stuff. I mean, there's there's no perimeter anymore. That's that's the that's the truth of it. But I think yeah, I do remember in early 2020 there was some talk of shipping physical VPN endpoints to employees' homes and things like that, and people quickly realized that that doesn't scale. There's no point. Well, we're we're working over the internet now, right? We're not working over MPLS or you know, frame relay or whatever, right? Working and the items that. and the items that you need VPN for are becoming less and less, you know, that's, that's the, yeah. that's the, the truth, one, right? The one thing that VPNs are probably good for is you can figure out what people are accessing from an application perspective as you build that policy. But yeah, I mean, that's, and look, is it a buzzword? I mean, everything, anything you would have called it's a buzzword, but it's, it's factual. I and mean, the concept is, and it will yeah. evolve. And the cloud companies, I, I'm just waiting. I'm telling you, I'm waiting for some. They're not going to be able to avoid this whole security thing for long. I'm sure they're. I don't know. I'm just not bought into the cloud being I, so secure. I, I think part of the zero trust model is also to start segregating your employees, right? And I think the one of the nasty things that uh, people don't talk about is, and and I remember like this was, you know, ten years ago. Everybody's talking about like a lot of the hacks at that point were happening internally, right? It's an internal employee going after something. It's an internal employee, you know? I, I think zero trust helps that to some 
some degree, but no one's talking about that anymore. But if you talk to a, like a government contractor who has like a military contract, yeah, they're segreg- they used to be segregating off that, that network or, or doing something there. I think that whole kind of architecture has changed, but it hasn't. People are more focused on, on the outside people, right? Um, and now there's DLP solution, all that to deal with, like the internal yeah. person trying to get data and, and so on and so forth. So you're always going to have that weakness, right? It's like, how do you, how do you prepare for it? How do you segregate it out? I, I, I think there's, there's so many different ways to do it. I don't know that there's a right and wrong. I, I think it just depends what your company is trying to achieve, right? So that's pretty much the size of it. Yep. I- and yeah, thanks, Zach, for pulling me up. Just the fact that some people are jumping on a bandwagon doesn't mean there isn't something real there. And yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to try and find an old blog post of mine just so I can prove <laughs> I've been talking about uh, moving beyond perimeter-based security for a while now. But um, beyond that, since February is still uh, cloud month on the podcast, we had a couple of items to talk about that relate to cloud computing above and beyond uh, Lilacs and my PTSD uh, on the topic. Uh, so Europe has, the European Union has proposed new rules for fair access to connected device data, uh, enforcing uh, multi-cloud contracts, and generally further clarifying the situation about data exchange within uh, the EU block. It's called the Data Act, which... Um, I may need to explain to the Americans, it's not uh, a backronym of some sort uh, where data stands for something cute. It literally just means it's about access to data. Uh, I I always love that when you have a US law and it's the can spam act or whatever. And and then it turns out to mean something completely contrived. But that aside... (laughs) (laughs) That aside, the... Uh, the, the, the premise here is that there's a whole lot of money being left on the table because uh, companies are either unable to access data or scared to do certain types of analysis in case they fall foul of uh, EU legislation. And so it's attempts to clarify both aspects of those. Uh, on the one hand, what you can do with data, especially data that is not personally identifiable information. They talk specifically about IoT and industrial IoT. Uh, so write up your rally, Mike. And on the other, they're saying, uh, you know, this is the stuff that should not be uh, allowed to leak, especially leak outside uh, the borders of the EU. And they talk about 270 billion uh, euros in additional market value to be created, additional GDP, pardon, to be created through this. Is this part of the, um, the Facebook hangup where Facebook said if this gets approved, they may pull from Europe? Is, that, is this, is this, that, is this it's, in part the same? So I'm not a lawyer. I don't even play one on TV, uh, but I believe it's tangentially related. Uh, It doesn't directly impact Privacy Shield, uh, which is the bit that Facebook objects to, the movement of data outside the EU. Uh, This is strictly about within uh, the internal market. Um, The thing that might be more uh, impactful is it's looking specifically at cloud service lock-in. Uh, proposing rules intended to allow customers to switch between different cloud data processing uh, services. How would and, that work? Well, exactly. That's going to be exciting. <clears throat> like it just, the 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 challenge with any kind of migration requirement, 
right? Is not access to the data. That is fine. We can talk about the cost of that and egress costs and so forth. The challenge is, is that there's typically architecting of a solution around a specific set of capabilities and the idea of normalizing those capabilities essentially removes competitive differentiation and i'm real super confused here have you been reading my drafts again no no i i, <laughs> I actually well, I sent something we've just spent to... 10 years together dominic <laughs> exactly i just sent something to media sorry zach just uh, very quickly i just sent something to the media along exactly those lines uh, moving stuff from an S3 bucket into, you know, Azure file storage, that's the easy part. But if you've built all your stuff around DynamoDB, guess what? Azure doesn't offer a DynamoDB API, so that starts to get complicated. Then again, there are services that are coming up that offer a layer of abstraction above these cloud services. Uh, MongoDB, my own employer being one. Snowflake, that we'll talk about in a moment for another reason. Uh, being another that give you that abstraction. So you're working with, uh, you know, service X that spans multiple cloud services. And that's one way to get out of, of that lock-in. Sorry, Zach, go ahead with your thought. No, I was going to say, you know, I'm reading this article that will be posted in the show notes. And I, I don't agree with it completely. I think, you know, I get it, right? From health, from a healthcare perspective, you know, sharing some data for research. I get that. I guess it depends on how far they want to go with it. You know, as a generalized data, but from a competitive uh, capitalist perspective, no way. Come on. I mean, I think they're taking a little bit too far, right? I mean, I think now they're reaching into uh, an area they probably shouldn't reach into. I, I don't know. Again, I don't know all the details. Maybe it's generalized data, right? In the U.S., we already do this, right? I mean, as long as there's no patient data, you can look at a thousand images of something. It doesn't have somebody's name. You can you can leverage that data. So we're already doing that. But I, now, I don't what they're know. talking I don't, I don't about here. Yeah, what they're talking about here is specifically the example they use is energy efficiency. So if you have uh, IoT devices that are tracking energy usage, they want common interchange formats and data exchange between commercial vendors and with grid operators and entities like that. Uh, so that's sort of thing they're talking about. I think this is, uh, I'll say one thing, and that's all I'll leave it at, is I, I'm from the government and I'm here to help you. Yeah, bingo. Yeah, that, that hits differently. There. <laughs> Bingo. It hits differently on the two sides of the Atlantic, I think. The the EU, uh, especially on the matter of data, has uh, a long track record. And this is moving extremely fast by governmental standards. So they want transparency into all the data that's being stored. <laughs> uh, in certain types of data, they specifically carve out PII, so no personally identifiable information, and they flag the sensitivity around uh wearable sensors for instance it might not technically be pii but might still be sensitive so they, they appear to have put some thought into this for now but they're going down the road uh, for now for now i just feel like what's sensitive is such a moving target certainly my health records are sensitive and that's pretty easy to sort of that's like the reductive yep. use case but at some point an abundance of data on an organization or a set of individuals and how they move through the world or even through their IT environment or even through their cloud email GDocs, like becomes an aggregate narrative that that I don't think we actually want, right? Like, and, and to sort of take the weird sure. personal example, right? I'm actually r real good at finding the Instagrams of the peoples that I might find myself in meetings with, for example. And, and everyone's like, oh, it's so creepy that you know that Cecil was skiing last weekend. And I'm like, well, I put his name in Instagram and he's got a skiing picture. <laughs> um, but, but it's creepy 
right? That's the response I always get. It is creepy that you, by putting Cecil, you know, Lederman into Instagram, found his picture, which he left open, right? I didn't hack his account. That is creepy. And yet, like, I'm willing to talk about what isn't creepy in an abundance of data as I move through the universe. Yeah, I... But it's fair access to data. Like, does that mean, Dominic, that they would randomize people's data and make that accessible if someone wanted it? Is is that like to public, to companies, to... Is that part of the transparency that they're looking for? Or is it really that you can switch cloud provider? Because it's quite... There's a lot going on within this. So there are various different aspects. The multi-cloud aspect is one, the access to technical... IoT data, they don't talk about personal data, is another. But, but technical IoT data could be like an MRI scanner data, right? So you don't know who's been in it. And then like, hey, you can start well, to compare regions and say that, wow, people in this part of the world have a lot of, I don't know, cancer. People in this part of the world have a lot of ABC. I mean, it's it's just that they're worried that someone else is going to profit from it and they want everybody to have a fair opportunity to profit from it. But at the end of the day, there's only certain companies that can ingest that type of data and because everybody will just copy it, ingest it, and then build a business model on top of it. That's yeah. ultimately... So the, there are legal safeguards. Like GDPR still applies, so you, you couldn't share stuff like this that's personally identifiable without consent. And also somebody could just show up and ask you to delete it and you'd have to. They're talking about machine level data. They're talking about energy consumption, things like that. Sure, but energy consumption in your small town and why is that happening? And maybe you're all growing a bunch of weed. Like it, it there's Oh yeah, or Bitcoin mining. Derivative well, data is not without value. In fact, one would argue oh, totally. that we have an entire industry around its value. And that, that's well, the whole point. There's value the, to it. The or energy, energy. Is, is valuable beyond belief as someone who's getting into the whole uh well energy data energy data can predict gdp can predict the uh economic yeah. output of a region of a company if you're a company that's in a certain region that's uh you know if you're consuming more power or less power i mean you could predict how well you're doing right uh it's not hard i mean it's not hard yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of those things that's it's just highlights to me the different attitudes to data control and sharing uh, in different parts of the world. Uh, but I think it's interesting that this isn't coming off at least like a purely bureaucratic operation. It's got some switched on people in it. They've carved out some edge cases. They've identified areas of conflict with uh, other other drivers. And it seems to be a serious and thought out piece of uh, piece of legislation. Well, yeah, I will say this, and I'll end it on, at least for me, I'll end it on this. I, I think the approach in Europe is different in the U.S. Right now, we're too busy going after these companies instead of yeah. forcing them to to give us some, not give us, but instead of forcing their hand to do what Europe is doing, right? Let's leverage this data. Let's do something. We're so busy here fighting amongst ourselves over stupid stuff, and we're more worried about attacking them on D.C. for whatever, right? We're not going to change it. Whereas in Europe, I think I kind of like how you're handling it. I may not agree with it. I think you're right with your statement you made earlier, Mike, but the approach is different. It shows the different approaches. I mean, we're not getting anywhere. We're stuck in the mud. You know, we got, I mean, without getting into politics, senators going after Elon Musk and all this other shit instead of focused on, on what we should. I, I, I commend you. I may not agree with it, but I commend you for doing something instead of nothing. Yeah, and I'm going to have to dig out, uh, because one of the things that they, I don't agree with, for instance, in here is talking about uh, consumer-level data portability which is something that's come up before. And the problem with that is, 
you know, if I have a Facebook account and I'm friends with the three of you and I want to export my data from Facebook, the fact that I can export, you know, my photos and profile data is the least of it. The network of relationships between us is the value. And that's not just my data. That also belongs to the three of you. So there's uh, a lot of complexity involved in any sort of data portability requirement beyond just, oh, I don't like Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> well, exactly. And my point, what I said earlier was that about Musk was, yeah, look, they have a lot of data. We can probably leverage that. Let's, let's, let's instead just take that energy and, and say, hey, look, you know, there's some data here. Let's use it, right? So, anyway. Exactly. Let's see how that one plays out. But specifically to multi-cloud, there are a couple of other news items this week uh, that we tend to think of AWS as uh, just being all about the lock-in and uh, grabbing people. But there are a couple of items. Uh, Kindrill, which used to be a tentacle of IBM, I believe, is training 10,000 workers in AWS technologies by the end of the year. And there's another article about Snowflake and talking about how a couple of years ago, AWS was trying really hard to compete with them with their Redshift uh, data warehouse product. And now they've realized that actually Snowflake drives a ton of usage of AWS, and it's a lot better to be, um, if not quite friends, but uh, at least to work together where it makes sense. And Company, companies are realizing that part of the business is better than none of the business. That's ultimately it, right? That's it. Although I don't know how many of these companies are getting sucked in by AWS only to get... Yeah, later on, turned on. That's the crazy part, right? Yeah. I have to, I have to chuckle a little bit. For me, it's it's Azure, you know, Google Cloud, GCP, and then AWS. And and this is from somebody who, by the way, is going down this road. So I hope to be an Azure architect in a few months, and after that, I'm gonna go down the GCP road. I don't have the desire for Amazon that everyone else has, but that's maybe I'm different, right? But. This whole, gosh, we're always talking about AWS and people learning AWS. It is amazing but, to me. Talk but, about marketing. Holy. But they are, but they oh, are the, so big. You, they are so big. They're, they're, they're like, big in the US. Yeah, okay, but over over sure, here in but, Europe, uh, Azure has uh, more of the markets. Uh, Google in certain segments. Really? No. Uh, oh, I'll, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you what the crazy thing about the, the Kindrel article is, right? Kindrel is moving some of their assets into AWS cloud. That is going to be their primary cloud for their own their own systems. Was that software? So, wait, wait, they were part of IBM. So you were saying software they were, they or they're were, not going to use they were, software? I'm so so yeah. they're not going to use software for AWS, which is... No, because they're services. So software stays with the main IBM <laughs> So they spun out from IBM and they're saying, screw you software, we're going to go into AWS. Yeah, that, that's, that's the other angle. Around being yeah. a little bit less committed to the mothership, right? Like that's the whole point of the yeah. spin out was yeah. not to was to have optionality with respect to platforms and clouds and so forth. And that makes perfect sense. But on one hand, you have like, let, let's look at Walmart, right? You have Walmart who refuses to use AWS because AWS is a competitor. Healthcare I mean, is looking business, at... By, by the way, if you do business... Yeah, Walmart, if you do business with Walmart, else, yeah, they want to know that you're not on AWS. Healthcare is the same thing. All these healthcare providers, by, by the way, there's a few that are running into AWS. I think that's like suicide. But most of them are like, no, this is a competitor. There's no way we're going. So... You know, what does it say about if you are a customer of Kindrel now and they've made this public statement that they are moving to AWS, what do you do as a customer? I mean, obviously now, yeah, think of, I wonder what Walmart is thinking now with like all their customers, because I mean, big companies like that, they all have something with IBM or or, or, or so forth. So, so did, 
that's interesting I don't know. you said that because to do business with Walmart, they're very peculiar. You also have to have a presence, right? In, in Rogers, Bentonville, in that area. I mean, you have to have an office or you're not going to do business with them. So what does Kendall do? I mean, I'm sure Walmart was one of their customers and, and at some level, right? I mean, what happens now? Are you willing to cut that cord for, I mean, is everybody putting their eggs in the Amazon basket and they're having to make a decision. It's kind of like divorced parents. For, it's like Walmart or AWS, pick one. It's it's an awkward it's an awkward statement by by Kindrel, but at least that piece. I mean, I, I don't I don't think it's bad that they're training people on on AWS technologies because they they have like Microsoft and they have Google and they have so yeah it makes sense you're a service organization but that that was the one uh, piece in the article that I I really scratched my head on so I don't know and yes I would have stayed with the mothership because it's probably more neutral than any of the others. That's true. If you don't have any customers, you can't upset anyone. Yeah, yeah, and those people all still be, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and those people still all bleed blue. Let's face it. Yeah. Uh, Lilac, do you bleed blue? Mike, do you bleed blue? I still I bleed have, blue. I, I still do, bleed I blue. I do not, but I have to tell you, I don't think I spent enough time there to truly get the blue dye into the system. That would explain it. On that happy note, uh, I have some recommendations this week. Uh, the weather, as uh, I've uh, certainly been talking about offline, I don't know if I mentioned it's on the air, but it's been unseasonably warm around here. The upside of that is I've been out on the bike and I got myself some bone conduction headphones. So the benefit of these things is they don't cover your ears so you can hear traffic. Uh, the, there's a pad that rests against your cheekbones right in front of your ears. So you hear both your music and podcasts and whatever and the car zooming up behind you or the little birds tweeting or what have you. It works surprisingly well. I was skeptical, but it works uh, really very well. What I got was, at the time, it was called the Aftershocks Aeropex. They've since rebranded. It's called the Shocks Open Run, but it's the same thing. Uh, as far as I can tell, it looks exactly identical. I put the link to the new product in the show notes, and they fit under helmets. I've worn them with a snowboard helmet and with a bicycle helmet and it's really really comfortable battery works well control works well highly highly recommended just awkward they look really weird yeah i wouldn't want to wear them in public yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they look weirder than airpods if that's possible yeah i wouldn't no recommendations here no, I, I just think that everybody should just watch Encanto on a loop. That's what I've been doing with my time for the last three weeks. So to, there's, your, there's your recommendation. And if you try really, really hard, you can get your uh, grade school child to sing the entire libretto every night before bed. Oh, boy. I, I don't if, have we, if we prepare but... for next week, we could, uh, all the hosts, we could do an a cappella rendition. <laughs> we, we don't talk about Bruno. <laughs> we don't. I'm out. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, I, uh, Not a recommendation, but maybe uh, I'm like, curious what people think, but maybe we do video on one of these upcoming episodes. Maybe not now, in a month or two months. I'm curious what video would be like with this. Right, so plenty of warning. And... Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I would shave and, uh, you know. I, I, very interesting idea, Zach. Yeah, everybody. <laughs> yeah. A little sarcasm, I mean... but that's okay. That's all right. No, it was uh, subtle. Well, that please. Subtle, that's true. <laughs> uh, that concludes Cloud Month. So we don't have a particular theme for the next few episodes. So do send us any thoughts on topics we should be covering, people we should be talking to on the show. In the meantime, you can find us all on Twitter at Roll4 with the number 4 Enterprise 
or on our LinkedIn page with the link in the show notes. The theme music is by my friend Renato Podesta, unless Mike has swapped it out for the Encanto theme in the edit. Uh, and uh, we will talk to you next week. I don't have the rights. Thanks, everybody. Bye.